Greetings and happy Sunday. Welcome to Alpha Omega International, and we thank you for joining us once again for our portraits series. Today we are going over part 14 in a sermon titled The Water Pot. Today's story concerns a Samaritan woman who meets with Jesus at the well. We're going to read a large portion of scripture today, but we're going to do it in portions. As we go through the sermon, we'll continue reading uh, a group of verses at a time. But at least by way of introduction, let's look at John chapter 4, and we'll begin reading verses 1 to 5. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to that with me. Otherwise, you can follow the verses along the screen. Let's begin. John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So we see from the very beginning that this story takes place in Samaria. Now, to the Jewish people of Israel, they did not like the people of Samaria, called the Samaritans. They didn't like the people, nor did they ever want to step foot in the area of Samaria. The history of Samaria takes us back to the 7th and 8th century B.C., when the Assyrians came and invaded Israel, the northern tribes of Israel, they destroyed towns, burned down cities, they killed many men, women, and children, and they also took many people into captivity. But over time, they began to resettle some of the cities of northern Israel. And to do that, there were some Jewish population that was there, but then there were also people from the Assyrian Empire, Gentiles, who then came to live in the same area. And you had Jews marrying Gentiles. And now, according to the Jewish people of Jesus' day, they were a mixed breed of people. They weren't truly Jewish. They didn't have the same <clears throat> sort of heritage as the Jews, say, of Judea. And because of this, the Jewish people did not look at the Samaritans as under the same household of God in Israel. They hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans, they couldn't trace their lineage like the Jews could. The Jewish people were proud of their ancestry. They could trace uh, the, the lineage of all their fathers all the way back to Abraham. <clears throat> but the Samaritans couldn't do that. They couldn't trace that sort of heritage. And at some point, it became a heritage of people that they did not know. They came from different parts of the world, and so they didn't have the same sort of uh, ancestry as the Jewish people. They didn't know their fathers as the Jews knew theirs. And over time, because the Samaritans could not and did not want to go to Jerusalem to worship God, they built their own temple to worship. And that made the relationship between Jew and Samaritan much, much worse. The Jewish people hated them. And the Samaritans disliked the Jewish people as well. Do you remember there was a story, a parable that Jesus told of a man, a Jewish man, who was beaten and robbed, left for dead on the side of the road. 
And in the story, there were religious Jews who came walking by, saw the man and chose to ignore him, didn't help him, walked on the other side of the road and kept on going. But then the hero of the story, the man who came and picked him up and brought him to a place to stay and paid for all the expenses to make him well again, that hero of the story was a Samaritan. And I'm sure that people listening to the story did not like hearing Jesus making a, a, a Samaritan into the hero of the story. The Jews who hated Jesus, like the Pharisees, in John chapter 8, they called him many names as an insult. In John chapter 8, they say that he has a demon, and they try to insult him by calling him a Samaritan. Well, today, we're going to read a personal encounter between a Samaritan woman and Jesus, and how this encounter changed her life. When we read about her in the story, we're going to see that she seems to be carrying a lot of pain in life. But after meeting Jesus, I believe she learned to give it all to him. And you know, this is exactly what Jesus wants from all of us, to bring our burdens and our sorrows and our pains to him and leave them there with the Lord Jesus. Every time I read this story, I can't help being fascinated by one seemingly small detail. You would probably guess, since this woman is coming to the well, that she has with her a water pot to retrieve water from the well. And she does. But John only mentions it at the very end of this story. And he mentions it in one verse. But to me, the one verse, that one verse that mentions the water pot at the end, it sums up the healing work Jesus did in this Samaritan woman. And so if you'll bear with me today, I want to suggest that this woman's physical water pot represented a spiritual problem and an emotional pain. As with most of us, the pain we experience on the inside can often be covered up and hidden from others, but not so with Jesus. He knows everything that we go through. There's no hiding our pains from him. In verse 4, it says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And the fact that he needed to go through Samaria, that wasn't a reason concerning geography. I mean, you have Judea, and then just north of that, Samaria, and then just north of that, Galilee. But the Jewish people of Judea, they did everything they possibly could to avoid going through Samaria. Even if they have to travel north of Samaria, they either found a way to go to the west coast, the Mediterranean Sea, and they would walk around Samaria to Galilee. Or else they would go east, cross over the Jordan, walk through the area of Perea, and then into Galilee. Whatever they could do to avoid Samaria. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria. And again, that's not a geographical reason. The reason is because there was a divine appointment he needed to have 
in Samaria at a well with a woman of the city living there. Sometimes a person meets Jesus right in the middle of their affliction or hardship. And the same is true in today's story. Jesus' reason for Samaria was to heal a woman in pain. A Samaritan woman carrying a water pot. The need to go to Samaria, the need was not his. The need was hers. So let's begin. And I'll share what I believe this woman's water pot represents. Three things. Number one, it represents her embarrassment. Number two, it represents her thirst or her desire. And number three, it represents her burden. Let's begin. Number one, it represents her embarrassment. John chapter four, verse six to nine. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The water pot represents, number one, her embarrassment. Why do I say that? Well, because in verse 6, John tells us what time it was. It was the sixth hour. That means the sixth hour from hour 6 o'clock in the morning. In other words, it's noontime. It's about 12 o'clock in the afternoon. When the sun is at its most intense heat, it's at noon that this woman goes to the well. Now, I'm sure this woman was well known in Samaria. Unfortunately, it probably wasn't because she was a faithful or strong woman. She was known because of the fact that she had been married five times. And now the man that she's living with She's not married to. We're going to find this out later in the story. No doubt, her lifestyle provided the town's people with plenty of material to gossip about. And not wanting to be the subject of talk, judgment, she avoided the crowds by going to the well at noon. Because the women of the city don't go to the well at noon. They go at maybe six in the morning before the sun is fully up, or they'll wait until the evening time, about six in the evening, when the sun has gone down, in the cool of the morning or in the cool of the evening. No one goes to the well at noontime. And the Samaritan woman knew that. And that's why she went at noon, because nobody else would be there. There may be more to it. Maybe she didn't want to hear that she needed to make a change in her own life. And so she simply isolates herself from other people. Whether it's going to the well at noon, knowing that nobody else will be there, or even in society, in her own community, I can imagine she isolated herself from other people. Have you ever done that? Have you ever isolated yourself from other people? Maybe because you're embarrassed of 
events that have happened in your life. Or maybe you have friends that you know will try to persuade you to make a change in your life and you just don't want to hear it. And so the answer to it all is to just stop hanging out with those people or stop going to certain places and you isolate yourself. How about church? Have you ever stopped going to church because you're embarrassed of the things that you have done? Do you know I, I met someone one time, or I know someone, who wasn't coming to church for a while. And I got to meet up with this person uh, several weeks later, and I just asked, where have you been? I haven't seen you in a long time. And the person admitted to me that currently their lifestyle does not glorify the Lord. There's sin in their life. And the person told me, when I go to church, I feel guilty and I feel convicted. And I don't want to feel that way because I don't want to change. So I stopped coming to church so I can stop feeling guilty. I was surprised the person admitted that to me, but I wonder how many of you, how many of us have done the same thing. Stop going places or isolating yourself because you're either embarrassed or you don't want to hear the fact that you need to make a change in life. Whatever the case may have been for this woman, what a lonely world she must have been living in, an isolated world. At the well, Jesus was the first to speak, and he said to her, give me a drink. You know, it always amazes me that Jesus never performed miracles for himself. He was sitting at the well. He was there first, and he was there sitting because he was weary from his journey. And it's noontime. He's parched, thirsty, and, and tired. The disciples go into town to get food, and there he is sitting at the well. And Jesus, this is God in the flesh, the same God who divided the Red Sea for the Israelites, the same God who made water gush out of a rock to give the Israelites drink. The same God who was at a wedding in John chapter 2. And they ran out of wine and he was able to turn so much water into wine. Surely, Jesus could have sat at this well, maybe take a look around, nobody's watching, and he could have summoned those waters to rise up in that well and to overflow its walls. And he could have reached down and cupped his hands and took a drink. But he didn't do that. Jesus never performed miracles for himself. Jesus was not at this well to satisfy himself, but to satisfy the needs of a lonely and embarrassed woman. Do you know what embarrassment is like? Maybe because of your lifestyle or decisions or mistakes or failures? And have you ever just thought to yourself and made the conclusion, I would rather just hide, just hide myself and bear these problems on my own? Have you ever avoided meeting people or trying to make friends, but you're afraid that once the relationship begins to grow, the person will start asking you more questions about your own life and you don't want to go that far. You don't, you don't want to go that deep because you may end up admitting something that you're embarrassed about. Or maybe there's more to it. Do you avoid going to church? Or do you avoid hanging around your 
your Christian friends because you don't want to hear wise counsel? You don't want to hear that a change needs to be made in your own life? And so you isolate yourself. Well, I can tell you, you can always count on Jesus. With Jesus, we don't have to worry about listing out all of our embarrassments. We don't have to worry about unloading and unfolding our life before Him and telling Him all the things that we've done because He already knows. He already knew what this woman had been going through. And you'll find out more about that in the story. He already knows everything about you. And He still is willing to meet you right where you are. We can count on Jesus at all times and in all things. And church, brothers and sisters, I want you to remember, notice how compassionate and gentle Jesus is with this woman. This woman who has many mistakes in life, yet Jesus was kind to her, merciful and gracious. I'm sure every time this woman looked at her water pot, she was reminded, I retrieve water at noon because of my embarrassment. Do you have that kind of water pot today in your life? Are, is there a daily reminder of your embarrassment or shortcomings or sin or bad choices in life? You might even be so embarrassed that you don't want to approach Jesus. Oh, but Jesus, He finds us. He finds us and He finds us in our pain. Jesus knows when He needs to pass through your life. He knows when He needs to pass through your home, your family, your marriage, your personal spiritual life. As Jesus needed to go to Samaria for the woman. I, I wonder how many of you listening today or watching today Jesus needs to go to you because you are in need. I'm so glad that we can trust Jesus even with our darkest embarrassments and with our deepest pains. We can trust in Him. Amen. That water pot represented her embarrassment. Number two, it represented her desire. Let's look again, beginning at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. It's clear that the woman brought her water pot to the well to draw water. She's thirsty. It's a 
natural desire that we all have to thirst. But Jesus takes that natural desire now and points to a spiritual desire. Our story began with Jesus asking her for water. But now it's Jesus who is offering her living water, which means salvation and everlasting life. And in Jesus' words to the woman, he tells her of all she needs in order to obtain this salvation. Listen to this once again. He says to her in verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Listen to what he says in this verse. Three things. Number one, he tells her what it is he offers. It's living water. Number two, he tells her who is in charge of it, who is in control of this living water. He tells her that if she asks him, he would give it to her. He's the one in charge of that issuance of living water. And number three, he tells her how to obtain it. He says to ask. Ask him. Ask Jesus and then receive it as a gift of God. In other words, a free gift of God. This is what we all need. Living water, salvation, everlasting life. And it comes from Jesus. He is the one who issues this living water. And how do we obtain this? We are to ask it of Him and receive it from Him as a free gift of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. This woman, she's convinced. She knows she needs this life-giving water. And she believes it comes from Jesus. And so she says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. This woman has been thirsty for so long. And she has turned to so many things to quench it, including several men in her life. Everything sounds good so far. She says, okay, sir, I'll take it. Give me some of that living water. And watch how Jesus responds. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Wow, Jesus always goes right to the point, doesn't he? Why did this woman have so many husbands, five of them? And eventually, she's with another man, number six, but she sort of gives up on the whole marriage idea. I wonder if she went through the same thing that many women and men still go through today especially young people like I have met over the last several years. I've met so many young people who feel as though 
their life won't be completely satisfied unless they meet someone. They have that special man or that special woman in their life. Until then, they believe there's always going to be something empty in their heart. I've met young people who graduated high school. They're happy, yet they would be more happy if they had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I know of young adults who have graduated college and they're ready to, to move into a career of some sort, but as, as good as that is and as happy as that would be, yet there's still something missing. They think they need a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Or they graduate college, they now move into a career, all is well, they have such a, a great opportunity, they're working with many people, yet they still believe, if only I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I believe that we are all created to desire. God has put that in all of us, to desire. And I believe that what God has done in us in order, in, in that fact that we desire, He has put that in us so that our desire becomes Him. So that desire leads us to be satisfied by Him and what He has to offer to us. The problem with people, however, is that that desire they have, they look to the wrong things to satisfy it. In that desire that they, they, they know there's something in them that, wants, that needs to be fulfilled, instead of turning to Christ, they instead turn to their lusts and their passions. They, may, they might turn to education. They may turn to money or other material things. Or they may turn to a boyfriend or a girlfriend, some sort of relationship. And that's a mistake we would be making. The desire that is in us, that desire for someone in our life, that desire to be filled completely in our hearts, that desire is to draw us to find Christ and to trust in Him and allow Him to fill our hearts and our lives. I love the wonderful quote of St. Augustine that he wrote in book number one of his confessions. Speaking to the Lord, this is what he said. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Amen. In other words, the Lord has made us for his glory, for his honor. He has made us to be filled with his presence. And our heart may look to and fro throughout the whole world seeking some sort of satisfaction and it will search restlessly. And the only way we can truly find rest in our search is to find Him and to be filled with Jesus. Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee. Amen. All right, let's look now. John chapter 4, verse 19 to 24. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, it seems like after Jesus has pointed out that He knows about her relationship problems with men, about her desire to, to perhaps satisfy her life with men. When he points that out to her, do you notice she changes the subject? She now talks about worshiping, whether it's here in Samaria or in Jerusalem. She's changing the subject. Why? I think it's because she wants to get away from talking about her sin. And I think we all do the same thing sometimes. We would rather hear about the blessings of God in our life. We would rather talk to God about how He can bless us and take care of us and provide for us. But when the Holy Spirit begins to point out sin in our life, we change the subject. And we say, let's, let's not talk about that right now. Let's talk about what I need instead. Let's not do that. That's what the woman tried to do. And Jesus sort of entertains that for a moment. But he knows what he's doing. Now, I, I know that there is so much involved with what Jesus just told her about worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. There's a whole sermon just in that verse alone. Jesus tells us we are to worship the Father in spirit. In other words, it's not about location, Jerusalem, Samaria, it's not about where we worship God or even how we worship God. It's not about traditions. It's not about rituals. Our worship of God is in spirit. And it's from our spirit. It's from our heart. And not only that, we are to worship in spirit and in truth. Truth. The one who says this also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way we can honorably worship God today is to do it through the name of Jesus because it's only by Jesus and only by his blood that we can even come into the presence of God. It's only through Jesus that we can even approach the throne room of God in our prayer. So yes, we are to, to worship in spirit from the heart and also in truth through the name of Jesus. But there's something else I see Jesus emphasizing in these verses. There's a word that he uses three times over. And I believe he used it to speak to this woman's heart. The word he uses is father. 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 Speaking of God, the father. The father above. Here is a woman who is hated by the Jews just like all the other Samaritans, because she is unable to trace her Jewish heritage through her fathers. And because she doesn't know enough about her father or her fathers, she doesn't know her own identity. And she's left with a desire for belonging. She has some sort of emptiness in her life because of the lineage of her fathers. And that's that's how the Jews made the Samaritans feel 
Because they don't know the true history of their fathers, they're not part of the household of God. But Jesus assures her that God is the Father. And he points her to the Father above. And that this Father, God the Father, he's the one who's actually seeking after her to call her his very own. I've met people here in Indonesia and it's a very humbling experience, but there are a lot of people who come from different parts of the world that I've met here in Indonesia. They're a part of our church. Some are a part of our, our small groups. Some of them I've, I've, I've taught through discipleship class. I've baptized some of them. And I've had many tell me because they don't have a father, maybe their father left, never came home again, or their father passed away. Or being here in Indonesia for a few years or several years, they haven't seen their father in a long time. And when I have struck up this relationship with young men and young women, I've had them tell me that I am like a spiritual father to them. And I've tried to mentor young people, young people, young adults who are here in, in university or they're here uh, working as teachers or whatever else. And as I've tried to mentor them and encourage them and to teach them the things of, of God, they feel as though I fill in that void of an earthly father. And that's not something I take lightly. I'm honored. I am humbled by the fact that somebody would consider me a spiritual father, or at least a, a temporary father while they're here in Indonesia. Certainly not something I take lightly. But it reminds me, that we all need to have this sense of belonging. We all need to have a father. And I know sometimes, for whatever reasons, there are many people in the world today that don't have an earthly father. Either they're absent physically, or at least they're absent as far as loving and providing or teaching um, a relationship with the Lord. For whatever reason, there are people that feel as though they don't have a father. And when they don't have a father, they don't have a sense of belonging. And I've seen that in many people. We all have a need, not just of an, of an earthly father, but we all need to know our heavenly father. And I believe that's what Jesus is doing for the Samaritan woman. He is pointing her to her God and father who is seeking after her, who searches for her, who has brought her to the Lord Jesus Christ because it's through him that she can be made a daughter of the living God. And it doesn't matter what her lineage is. It doesn't matter where she worship, worships, if she's a, a Jew or if she's a Samaritan. God loves all, and he calls all to come to him through Jesus Christ, and he makes us his own children. What are you thirsty for? What is it that is your desire in life? I can tell you, no matter where you look or to whom you look, whatever you're thirsty for, the only one who can satisfy your deepest desire for belonging, for purpose, for love, for life, is God our Father, the one who seeks after you and the one who draws you to his only begotten son, Jesus. 
because it's through that relationship with Jesus Christ that we become the children of God. That is our deepest need in life. And there's nothing that compares to it. This woman, she had embarrassment. She had a desire. And number three, this water pot represents her burden. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Every day, this woman brought her water pot to the well. Every day at noon, because she was embarrassed. Every day, she was reminded of this unquenchable thirst that she had. And that water pot was a heavy burden, and she carried it every day. This conversation with Jesus has already begun changing her life. She still doesn't exactly know who Jesus is, but he sure does remind her of someone. He reminds her of someone. He reminds her about a scripture and about what the scriptures say about the Messiah who is to come. There's a verse in Isaiah chapter 53. And I think it's a verse that this woman knew well. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Isaiah looking forward to Messiah who was coming. Isaiah said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. In other words, when Messiah comes, he will come and take up our burdens and to carry away our sorrows. And I believe that this verse resonated with the Samaritan woman. And I believe she held this closely in her heart. And maybe she thought, oh, how I would love to give Messiah this burden that I am carrying every day. This embarrassment, this, this shame, and, and this feeling of isolation. I would love to be able to to have Messiah satisfy my desire to take away this burden and to carry upon himself. She says, I know he's coming. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. What do you think those words did inside of her heart? He just made that connection that not only was Messiah coming. Yes, the Christ will come and he's going to bear your burden. He's going to lift it from you, put it upon himself and carry that burden away. Yes, he's coming. And he says to her, here I am. <laughs> here I am, the burden bearer. Amazing. Verse 27. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, why do you, or what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot. There it is. Went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I'm tired of living in shame and embarrassment. 
I'm tired of this unquenchable thirst and how I waste my life away trying to satisfy it. One man after another, after another, after another. I'm so tired of this burden I carry every day in my life. And then John says this, then the woman left her water pot and she went back into the city. She left her water pot, water pot right there at the well with Jesus. Now, why do you suppose she did that? And why do you think John found it so important that he tell you about it? Why did the Holy Spirit, when John was remembering this story, why did the Holy Spirit remind John about this water pot and say, now, John, don't forget. Don't forget to mention the part where she left her water pot with Jesus. Why was it so important? Why is it mentioned here in this way? Well, it could be that she gave it to Jesus. Here, Lord, it's yours. Use it however you want to use this vessel, my vessel, this water pot. Maybe she just simply gave it to him to use uh, however he saw fit. It could be a sign that she was coming back. You know, if she's leaving something that belongs to her, if she's leaving it there purposely at the well, it may be a message to Jesus that while I'm going back to Samaria to tell all the people, I'm leaving my water pot because I'm coming back again. Maybe it was for that. But I think, I think it symbolized that she finally found the man, the man that she had been waiting for all her life, the Messiah, the Christ, and that this man, she believed, he would heal her and forgive her and restore her. She was free from him, her embarrassment. She was being filled with that living water that Jesus promised. And now she was ready to let go of her burden. Here it is, Jesus. This one thing that has represented who I am in my life and my pains, my embarrassments, my desires, my burdens, I leave it with you. Here, Jesus, it's yours. That's what I believe is the purpose of John telling us she left it with him. She goes back into the city, no longer embarrassed, no longer ashamed, but she cries out to the whole entire city, come and see a man who told me everything about me. Come and see a man. Yes, a true man. The kind of man I've been waiting for all my life. And what a man he is. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Notice in this story how her knowledge about who he is, how it grows in this encounter. It begins in the very beginning of our story. She calls him a Jew. And then she calls him Sir, and after he speaks a little bit more to her, she calls him a prophet. And then he is Christ. And then when all the city comes out because of her testimony to them, eventually the multitude of people are saved. And all of them, as well as our Samaritan woman, they declare that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So he goes from being a Jew to Sir to Prophet to Christ, to the Savior of the world. 
and indeed he is. And he changed this woman's life forever. All that she needed and all that she desired, it was all found in him. And I pray that today, whatever your pain is or your embarrassment, whatever you are desiring in your life, whatever you're thirsty for, I pray that you will find yourself at the well where Jesus has come to meet with you. I pray that Jesus knows the need that you have and he comes to meet that need. If you have a need today, if your family, if your marriage, if your children, in your finances, your health, if there's a need today, you can be certain that the same Jesus who had a need to go to Samaria, he will know that need and he will come to you in your time of need. And when he does, I encourage you, Give him your all. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, for such a wonderful story. I'm sure there are so many of us that can identify with the Samaritan woman. For whatever reasons of our embarrassments, our shames, whatever failures and mistakes we have done, I pray, Lord, that we will be so ready to come to you and to confess these things to you, knowing that not only do you forgive us, but you restore, you rebuild our lives. Even with the failures that we have made in our past, you can use our mistakes to bring about good in our life. Only you can do such things. And I also pray, Lord, that you will teach us that our deepest desires can only be satisfied by Jesus Christ. And I pray that all those who are listening, all those who are watching, I pray that they will be filled with living waters, waters that will overflow in their life, that they will have not just life, but what you promised, Jesus, abundant life. And I pray, Lord, whatever burden we carry today, no matter what it is, that we will come to know you, Jesus, as our burden bearer who carries our sorrows, who bears our griefs and our shame and our, our sicknesses and our sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the only one who can satisfy. Now, Holy Spirit, open our hearts to Christ. And I pray that we will all be filled with your presence, with your love, and with your life. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you agree with me. This is truly one of the greatest stories we find in the Gospels. Well, until next time for our portrait series. Until then, may God bless you this week. May he keep you and be gracious to you. May he meet you in your time of need and help you in time of need. And I pray that you will know the, the wonderful love and the wonderful mercy that he offers to all of us. May he take care of you and keep you strong keep you healthy. Until next time, God bless you. Amen.